Welcome to Helping Challenging Children. This podcast is for adults who want to understand why children behave the way they do and how to support them to increase their ability to self-regulate and to become more independent. My name is Dr. Pat McGuire. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who and I have been working with these children for over 30 years. Greetings, this is Dr. The, Pat the McGuire. Right support, they all season two great. has been wonderful so based on how many people have listened to the podcast. And hopefully but it is tiring to do every week. Time. So because of this, I need a vacation. This will be the final episode of season two. Season three will begin in the fall, probably close to Labor Day. I won't be totally off the grid, however. I have analyzed the popularity of the last 67 episodes to cover the first two seasons. The most frequently listened to podcasts are as follows. Because I said so, Oppositional Defiant Disorder from season one. Understanding ODD from season two. Toxic Effects on Children from season two. Trauma-Informed Schools, season two. Foster Care and Helping Challenging Children, Season 2, Foster Care Needs in Our Country, Season 2, and New Approaches to School Discipline, Season 2. I will be spending my vacation developing teaching materials based on these topics. They may be books or online courses, or maybe some of both. I know that these topics are not the only concerns you have for helping challenging children. If you would like me to consider other issues, drop me a line at pat at helpingchallengingchildren.online. For this last podcast for season two, I am going to focus on a topic that has been in the news in the previous couple of weeks. The New England Journal of Medicine printed an article on gun-related deaths for children. Based on research from the CDC, between 2000 and 2020, the number of firearm-related deaths among children, adolescents, and young adults increased from 6,998, or 7.3 per 100,000 people, to 10,186, or 10.28 per 100,000 people. According to HealthyChildren.org, roughly a third of U.S. homes with children have guns. An estimated 4.6 million kids live with unlocked, loaded guns in their homes. That's a scary statistic when you think about the fact that even young toddlers are capable of finding unlocked guns in the home, and they are strong enough to pull the trigger. The Children's Defense Fund also focused on gun violence in children and adolescents for years. They noted Gun violence was the leading cause of death for all children and teens ages 1 to 19 in the year 2018, surpassing motor vehicle accidents as the leading cause for the first time in history. And it continues to beat out vehicular deaths since then. Children and teens are far more likely to die from gunfire than COVID. There are two main types of injury and deaths by gun. The first is accidental, which is where we really have to focus a lot of our attention. These shootings and deaths are due to easy gun access by children and adolescents in their own homes and neighborhoods. 
There are no regulations requiring gun owners to secure their guns and ammunition so that their children can't get to them. Children using guns as toys has led to many child deaths. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, in 2020, there were at least 369 unintended shootings by children in the United States. These shootings caused 142 deaths and 242 injuries. The COVID-19 pandemic hasn't helped either. From March to December of 2020, unintended shooting deaths by kids went up more than 30% compared to the same period in 2019. There have been numerous efforts to improve gun safety in the home through pediatricians providing counseling to parents about how to keep guns out of the hands of children and teens. But there has been pushback in that effort from the NRA and members at state levels through what are called physician gag laws. This restriction on discussion started with a law in Florida in 2011, which prohibited physicians from asking parents if there were any guns in the house during office visits, such as well-child exams. The NRA and Florida argued that this was an attack on Second Amendment rights. It took until 2017 for the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Florida to rule that the law violated the physician's First Amendment right to freedom of speech. Twelve other states enacted similar laws, including Minnesota, Missouri, and Montana. The other area of issue with guns is violence. In 2019, nine children and teens were killed with guns each day in America. That's one child every two hours and 36 minutes. Since 1963, nearly 193 children and teens have been killed with guns on American soil, more than four times the number of U.S. soldiers killed in action in the Vietnam, Persian Gulf, Afghanistan, and Iraqi wars combined. Looking at mass shootings, using the definition of a shooting where there are four or more people killed or injured, so far in 2022, according to gunviolencearchive.org, there have been 157 mass shootings. 170 people have been killed and 655 have been injured. The site did not break down under 18 and over 18 age groups, but we all know about the many school shootings and the most recent event in DC less than two weeks ago, which led to the death of a three month old infant. This research shows that so far in 2022 through April 24th, there have been mass shootings in 32 states. The following have five or more instances of mass shootings. California, 17. Texas, 14. Louisiana, 10. Illinois, 9. Florida, 8. South Carolina, 8. Kentucky, 7. Pennsylvania, 7. Georgia, 6. North Carolina, 6. Maryland, 5. Colorado, 5. Wisconsin, my state, five, and New York, five. So how is this adding up? 
Well, for every child or teen fatally shot, another five suffered non-fatal gunshot wounds. An estimated 16,644 children and teens were injured with guns in 2018. That's one every 32 minutes. According to FBI crime data, the number of youths 19 and younger who commit homicides rose by nearly 20% between 2019 and 2020. According to BradyUnited.org, 22 children and teens between the ages of 1 and 17 were shot in the United States every day. Among those, five died from gun violence. Three were murdered. 17 children and teens survived gunshot injuries. Eight were intentionally shot by someone else, and they did survive. Two children and teens either died from a gun suicide or survived an attempted gun suicide. And eight children and teens were unintentionally shot in instances of family fire. And this would be a shooting involved an improperly stored or misused gun found in the home that resulted in injury or death. Isn't there something that can be done to keep our children safer and doesn't anger the NRA with paranoia that we want to take away their guns? Well, let's first look at the extent of gun ownership in the United States. Now, the following is disturbing to me. Proponents of gun access say they need to protect themselves. According to the Children's Defense Fund, as of 2017, American civilians own 393 million firearms. That's more than one gun per person. In contrast, the U.S. military and law enforcement agencies combined possessed 5.5 million guns. Americans accounted for less than 5% of the global population, but own nearly half, or 46%, of all civilian guns in the world. Why do Americans need so many guns? Because if you look at the numbers, we're saying that every man, woman, and child, so from birth to great-great-grandparents included, has their own gun. We know that fear is a factor for the gun purchasers to keep buying guns. And the suspicion is raised by the NRA and gun manufacturers to keep sales up. But the NRA and gun manufacturers are fearful that people will stop buying guns if they find out that ownership of, by themselves or their families can be more dangerous than what they were told to fear. There is a significant reason for the push against physicians discussing gun safety with families during wild child exams. It is also a major incentive for blocking funding to research the issues of firearms death and safety. While we have had great success with decreasing childhood deaths in motor vehicle accidents due to federally funded research and implementation of policies so that children can safely ride in cars, the NRA and collaborators blocked funding to look at increasing gun safety. This was called the Dickey Amendment. The Dickey Amendment was a provision inserted by Jay Dickey, a Republican from Arkansas, as a rider into the 1996 U.S. federal government omnibus spending bill. It mandated that none of the funds available for injury prevention and control at the CDC 
could be used to advocate or promote gun control. The amendment was lobbied for by the NRA. Although the Dickey Amendment did not explicitly ban gun violence research, for about two decades, the CDC avoided all research on gun violence for fear that it would be financially penalized by the Dickey Amendment. Congress finally clarified the law in 2018 to allow for such research. And the fiscal year 2020 federal omnibus spending bill did earmark the first funding for it since 1996. In recent years, the firearms available to civilians have become more lethal, in part because manufacturers are increasingly selling weapons designed for military use. There also appears to have been little effort by the gun industry to develop or market personalized smart guns. Such weapons can be fired by the authorized user only and should therefore reduce the risk of children unintentionally shooting themselves or others and of adolescents using guns for homicide or suicide. An article on the Philadelphia ABC affiliate from 9-21-2021 reviewed research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is abbreviated CHOP, on gun violence and mental health issues for those living nearby. The researchers found that children who live close to areas where shootings happened within four to five blocks are 134% more likely to go to an ER for a mental health issue. In the two weeks after a shooting, kids who lived two to three blocks from that shooting had a 1.8 to 1.9 times the odds of coming into the ER, said Dr. Aditi Hassan, a pediatrician at CHOP and lead writer of the study. So how do we help our children? Well, it's called back to basics. First, families need to decide if they need to have a gun in the home. For many families, these guns may be used for hunting animals. Some may feel as if they need one for safety. But how many need the equivalent of one per person, including infants, in their home. This is where having discussions on what is based on real causes and what is being based on a rational fear would be helpful. Having discussions on quantity and gun safety would be appropriate to have with the positions of any children in the home. The physician would indeed discuss how to keep all guns and ammunition safe, safely away from children. They could also help them work through the issue of how many guns are in the house. There are firearm safety courses that young hunters take, but are there mandatory courses for adults? According to rand.org, there are no federal regulations requiring courses for gun owners. With that said, their study found that about 61% had taken a course and others had learned from friends or family about gun use. Most states didn't have a required course. As of January 1st, 2020, six states and DC did have laws requiring individuals to undergo some sort of safety training prior to being able to purchase, or in the case of Connecticut, carry a firearm. There is no uniform classes and few if any address the issue of domestic violence and suicide with guns. NRA feels that's too much regulation and it would limit how many people could afford to own guns, guns if they had to take all these courses. 
It may be useful to have discussions on why these gun purchasers are there. With suggestions for counseling through some community services, if the issues relate to PTSD or fear of domestic violence. It would also be wise if there was consistency surrounding what it takes to own a gun, including registration of all guns, just like we register all cars, background checks, and no sales on site or through online sites without the same background checks. It would be wise to consider if there should be restrictions as to what guns could be sold to civilians and which would be restricted to law enforcement and the military. It's just my humble opinion, but it doesn't seem like there's a decent reason for submachine guns and assault rifles in your home if you're only supposedly going after deer and pheasant. Finally, there needs to be more help for children and adolescents to understand the power of guns and the danger they can do if used inappropriately. This may come from a course in schools, although some gun owners would see that as violating the Second Amendment rights, much like they and others fight against critical race theory and social emotional learning in school. But as a country, we have to look for the greater good by promoting discussion and implementation of policies and services, which will help decrease the proliferation of guns, along with the killing of many innocent children and adolescents. As my call to action at the end of season two, I hope you will contact your politicians at the state level and at the federal level to say you want more done for safe gun ownership so that there will be a decrease in the number of children and adolescents who are injured or die because their adults in the house don't know how to keep them safe. I don't have a problem with guns because I come from a state where there's a lot of hunters, but I do have problems with guns that are there because of irrational fears of the boogeymen that have been said are going to steal everything from us. So that's my politics for the day and the end of season two, and I'll see you at the beginning of season three. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.